The scripture for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. You can follow along in your Bibles or in your worship guide. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Well, good morning. We are in our second week looking at different parables of Jesus. And as I mentioned last week, the word parable in the Greek literally means truths thrown alongside the road. And what we see in the Gospels is that Jesus would use everyday items and practices to teach complex truths about God and his kingdom. Now, last week, for those of you who weren't here and all the women that were on the retreat, we looked at the parable of the seeds and the sower. And through this story, Jesus taught his disciples and the crowds gathered around him that the kingdom of God comes through hearing. So take notice how you hear. We, weren't, we learned that while the earthly kingdoms come often through force and coercion, Jesus' kingdom comes through hearing the word of God. And in this parable, Jesus warns us not to hear the word with a hard heart, a shallow heart, or a divided heart, but instead to hear the word with an honest and good heart, delighting in it so that it takes root in our lives and bears fruit and that we might persevere in our faith. This morning, we're looking at two interconnected parables, the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great value. And unlike the very public audience that Jesus had for the parable of the soils and the sower, Jesus shares these parables in a house with only the disciples present. Now, this shift in setting and audience is important to note because Jesus is speaking to people who have already professed faith in him. Therefore, the parable was not and should not be misconstrued as a proof text for how one receives salvation. Jesus tells these parables to remind us of two things that I want us to consider this morning. And the first is the magnificence of the kingdom of heaven. And then secondly, the manner in which we are to to receive the kingdom of heaven. Pray with me. Father, we're grateful this morning for your goodness to us. We're grateful for an extra hour of sleep. We're grateful for the sunshine and for a warm, cozy building to be able to meet in and worship you. Lord, you know our hearts. I pray that you would come, Holy Spirit, that you would minister to us, that you would teach us through your word, that you'd have your way with us. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So the first thing that I want us to consider as we look at these two parables 
is the magnificence of the kingdom of heaven. Now, in 2017, I bought a Honda Pilot. After driving mine for 12 years, I decided to get a new one. And whenever you get a new car, you know you're all excited about it and you're careful about it. And so Daniel and I decided to go to lunch. And I was like, I'll drive. And so I drove and I parked and we got out. We went in, got lunch. We both came out. He had a cup of lemonade. I had my Coke. And when we came back to my car, what I realized that the car next to me on the driver's side was so close, I couldn't open the door. And so Daniel, being kind as he is, decided, hey, I'll just get in the passenger side and jump over and pull out. I was like, okay, because he knew I couldn't do that. I'm too old. And so he puts his lemonade in the, in the center console. He dives over the seat. And in the process, he kind of hits his lemonade. And it goes all over the console where the gears are. Now, inside, I'm starting to panic. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. There's lemonade being spilled all into my gear shift. But I was trying to be calm and caring to Daniel. And so I, I, I don't panic. I just try to clean it up. I'm like, it's okay, it's okay. Well, I go home, I Google. How do you get rid of lemonade in gear shifts? And literally for a month, I'm telling you not, this is how OCD I am. For a month, I was listening every time I shifted. I was like, that, that sounds sticky. That doesn't feel quite right. It's because it was a new car, and it meant a lot, and it was novel to me, and it had a lot of value. Well, last week, I was doing my McDonald's run, and the lady handed me a Coke, and it had Coke dribbling all down it. And I put that Coke in my console and didn't think a thing about it. Coke probably went everywhere. It didn't matter to me, because the car had kind of lost its novelty. It wasn't as important, even though it's paid for, as when I first got it. Now, the kingdom of heaven is certainly greater than any new car. But I believe Jesus understood our humanity. And he understood our proclivity that when we first hear about something, an idea, a thing, we're excited about it, but then over time, our hearts become complacent. And we don't assign as much value to it. And I believe Jesus understood that not only that was true about ideas and things, but it was also true about the kingdom of heaven. And so he tells us these two parables to help us understand and to remind us of the magnificence of the kingdom of heaven. And we see this. If you look in your bulletins or you look in your Bibles, as we begin to read this first parable. In this first parable, Jesus says, there is a man who finds a treasure hidden in a field. And when he found it, the man covered it up. Then in his joy, he goes out and he sells all that he has and buys the field. Now, in the ancient Near East, finding a treasure hidden in a field was not unusual at all. During Jesus' time, there were not banks that had safe deposit box for people to go and store their money or other valuables. And so what people would do is that they would take their valuables, their treasures, and they would either hide them in their house or they literally would get a box and go out on their land and bury them there. But 
because of unforeseen war, sickness, and death, it wasn't uncommon for people who either had to flee their homes or who passed away to leave hidden treasures in their houses or in their fields. And Jesus tells us that this man who was passing through a field, he found such a treasure. And the treasure was so magnificent that the man buried it. And, not, and then, not being a man of great means, he sold everything. He impoverished himself so that he could go and buy the field. Now, let me pause here for a moment because many of you are thinking, it's great and, and, you know, how incredible it is that this man would do this and go and buy this field. But, you know, he didn't tell the owner of the field that there was a treasure there before he bought it. That seems unfair. And the, the reality is, it is unfair. But when Jesus tells a parable, again, he's, he's teaching it. It's a fictional story and he's telling us uh, this parable to get across this main idea of how we receive the kingdom of heaven. It is not a parable about business ethics. And so we can't take this literally. I love Daniel's class on Wednesday nights because he's helping us. He's teaching us that when we look at scripture, we have to look at the authorial intent. We have to look at Paul's intent. We have to look at Jesus' intent. We have to look at the audience and consider that in order to make a good interpretation. And in this parable, if we took it literally, then we'd all go out and do business in a, in a way that it was not glorifying to Jesus at all. And so with that understanding, the point that Jesus is trying to make in this first story is that the kingdom of heaven is extremely valuable. So much so that a person who finds it is willing to bury it in a field and then impoverish himself. Sell everything he has so that he can then go and buy the field. And then to drive this point home, knowing just our proclivity to not think of the kingdom as being so majestic and great, Jesus continues by telling a second story. And this time Jesus introduces us to a merchant. And this merchant dealt in pearls. And this merchant found one pearl that far exceeded the value of any pearls in his possession. And for that matter, any pearl that he had ever come across. This pearl was so unique and breathtakingly beautiful that the merchant went and sold all that he had. All his other pearls in order to purchase this one pearl. Its worth is unquantifiable. The kingdom of heaven is a treasure greater than all the riches of the world and more lovely than this pearl of greatest price. The kingdom of heaven is God's great reversal. It's God pouring out his love and grace on creation. Jesus is reminding us here that the kingdom of heaven is God's power working to undo injustices, to restore dignity to the disenfranchised, to break the chains of addiction, to heal the brokenness in marriages and families, 
to bring peace between the nations and restore joy to the world. Tim Keller, speaking about the kingdom of heaven, says that often when we think of the kingdom of heaven, we think of it as God's power working in our lives to renovate us. But the truth is, the kingdom of heaven is God's power working in our lives to create a new mansion. A mansion where the King of kings and the Lord of lords will come and dwell with us forever and ever and ever. Jesus in these two stories is reminding us of the greatness of the kingdom of heaven. That these two men see that so many other people miss and that we are tempted to forget. If you are here this morning and you profess faith in Jesus, you have been given a magnificent gift. The power of God dwelling in you and through his people to bring renewal and restoration to our world. Jesus' hope this morning is that the novelty of the kingdom of heaven might be restored afresh and anew in our hearts and in our minds this morning. And that the Holy Spirit will give us honest and good hearts to hear the truths of these parables in such a way that our hearts are warmed and our passions are enlivened. And if you're here this morning and you haven't professed faith in Jesus, maybe the Holy Spirit is giving you ears to hear for the first time the truth that Jesus Christ came, he lived, and he died, and he rose again to set us free from our sins. To place us into this kingdom where his power would radically transform your life. Maybe this morning the Holy Spirit is capturing your heart for the first time. I wonder, will you receive him today? In this In these two parables, Jesus is helping us to see the magnificence, the grandeur of the kingdom of heaven. And the second thing we see in these two parables is the manner in which we are to receive his kingdom. As we look at the manner in which we receive the kingdom, I think it's important to, to say once again that this is not salvific. Paul says in Ephesians that we are saved by grace through faith so that no one can boast. So when we think about the manner in which we are to receive the kingdom of God, I'm not saying you can earn your entrance into the kingdom by your level of commitment. Your entrance is has been bought through the precious blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. However, what we see in these parables is the manner in which we are to receive the kingdom of heaven is total surrender of everything to the one true king. I mean, look at the first parable again. The man doesn't have the means to simply go out and buy the field. But he's so taken by this magnificent treasure that he goes and liquidates all of his assets. Jesus says he goes and he sells all that he has so that he can buy the field. And then the second man does the exact same thing. He sees the most beautiful pearl in the world and knowing its great worth, he goes. What does he do? He sells all that he has 
so that he can buy the one pearl. These men have been so captured by the kingdom of heaven that they're willing to give up everything for their king. Jesus says receiving the kingdom of heaven in any other way is unacceptable. We see this in the life of Paul. He writes in Philippians 3, verses 7 through 10. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul's life was so radically transformed on the road to Damascus that he surrendered everything for the sake of his king, Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying in these parables that the manner in which we receive the kingdom of heaven is total surrender, total commitment to the king of kings. For when we receive the kingdom of heaven, we acknowledge that we are entering a new reality. Augustine, in his book Confessions, calls this new reality the city of God. He says there are two simultaneous realities taking place here and now. One is the city of man and the other is the city of God. The city of man is ruled by Satan and dominated by the influences of sin in the world. And the city of God is ruled by Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. When we are captured by God and profess faith in him, though we still operate in the city of man, we become citizens of the city of God. And as citizens of God's kingdom, and because God's kingdom is so great, we move out from under self-sovereignty to God's sovereignty. Jesus is now king of our lives. Though, therefore, our entire lives are reoriented to him. So often we say that we will obey God if he stays out of my financial affairs or out of my sex life or out of how I spend my weekends or out of my career. Each of us has our own blank that we can fill in. But Jesus in these parables is saying the manner in which we receive the kingdom of heaven is total surrender. Total reorienting of our lives. Because not only has our essence been changed when we profess faith in him, our dimension has changed as we now live in the city of God. Being in the kingdom of heaven is declaring with our mouths and our lives that we are willing to sell everything in order to gain Jesus and the kingdom of God. If we say, I will obey God if, then we are not willing to sell everything and receive the kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is so amazing that it demands our all. It demands that we look at everything and it pales in comparison 
we're willing to give up whatever is in our way, any idol, anything that is in our way, any good thing that is in our way that's more important to us than Jesus Christ. Even if that is our children. Think of the beautiful story of Abraham and Isaac and what does God call him to do? God is jealous for Abraham's heart and what he says is you need to go and you need to sacrifice Isaac. And what does Abraham do? He begins to walk up that mountain. And he lays his son and he's ready to take a knife and take his son's life. Because Jesus Christ and God's kingdom are more important to him. These parables teach us that this treasure is so magnificent, so wonderful, that it's captured our hearts that we're willing to lay down everything and anything that comes between us and Jesus Christ. And as I think about that and think about all the different things that often come between, I I can't help but think, how? How in the world are we able to do that? It's so tempting to want to hold things here, to want to love something other than Jesus and his kingdom. How are we able to surrender all? How are these men able to sell everything in order to gain this treasure? And the answer is, it's easy to miss because Jesus uses one phrase to tell us how. And that phrase is found in the first parable. And it's in his joy. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, this man goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. You see, it's the joy that comes from being adopted as God's beloved sons and daughters. That's what enables us to enter this new reality and surrender our will to the sovereign God. There's a a great movie in in the scene, Hook. And in that scene, Peter Pan is much older. He's an adult. And he's gone back to Neverland. And he's beginning to understand and remember that he was Peter Pan. But he, he can't figure out how to fly. He doesn't know where the power to help him lift and elevate off the ground. And so he's having this conversation with Tinkerbell. And Tinkerbell is listening to him and says, Peter, sounds like you've had a lot of sad thoughts lately. You need to remember your happy thought. And he kind of looks at her and like, what do you mean? Don't you remember? It's your happy thought that will enable you to fly. And then in that moment, Peter begins to remember the birth of his son. He remembers his wife holding his little baby. And then he remembers taking his baby in his arms for the first time. And his heart is full of joy. And before he knows it, he is 25 feet up in the air. He is soaring. And he screams down to to Tinkerbell, I found my happy thought. My happy thought is my love for my son. And later there's a beautiful scene. Hook has, has tried to indoctrinate his son and tried to to tell him that, that his son is actually Hook's son and brainwashed him. And Peter comes in 
to rescue his son and his son doesn't quite know who he is. And, and Peter begins to fight. And then he looks at his son and says, son, you are my happy thought. How are we able to surrender everything in order to receive the kingdom of God? We need to remember our happy thought. And what is that happy thought? That happy thought is the joy of knowing that Jesus Christ loves you, accepts you, and forgives you. And that he has rescued you and invited you to experience the power of God to participate in his kingdom. It is remembering that happy thought, the joy that will enable us, even if we need to, to sacrifice our own children. Anything that comes before us in Christ, anything that matters more, we can put that behind us because of the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. And amazingly, the author of Hebrews tells us that it was the joy set before Jesus that enabled him to surrender everything, including his life on a cross, so that we might have the joy of being restored in relationship with him. And what was the joy set before Jesus? It was you and me. It was the thought of us being restored to our Heavenly Father. It was that thought, that joy of seeing His Father's face when He was, would be renewed and restored with all of us that enabled Jesus to surrender it all. To count it all loss. And even to lay down His life. So the power to sell everything so as to receive the kingdom of heaven comes from the joy of the Lord. I wonder this morning, do you have this joy? Is the joy enabling you to soar like Peter Pan to new heights in your walk with Jesus and in your experience of this new reality that we call the city of God? This joy is offered to all who profess faith in him. It is ours this morning. And it, it's tempting to try to grind it out and to say no to idols and other things and good things that we make ultimate things. But ultimately, if we're going to let go of those things, it's the joy of knowing that Jesus loves you that will enable you to say no and to put your arms around him to receive his love and his grace and to walk in the power of his kingdom. Isaac Watts, in his beautiful hymn, When I Survey the Wonders, Wonders Cross, captures the essence of these two parables well. Listen to the last stanza. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all.
I want you to stand and we're going to sing this beautiful hymn.